I'm Mark Gagan, and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling enterprise-scale underwriting through a single pane of glass. Today's guest is from one of the highest-profile firms from the group of pioneering US insurtechs that emerged in the middle of the last decade. With such a flowering in the insurtech space and things moving so fast for each player, it's hard to keep up with every new investment round, every new startup, and each insurtech's individual trajectory. Hippo Insurance, along with many of its trailblazing peers, is now a public company. But despite the transparency this brings, it's easy to look at Hippo and become confused by a whirl of alliances, structures, and news announcements. One analyst recently complained that it looked like Hippo was throwing different strategies against the wall and seeing which ones would stick. In the light of this podcast, that doesn't seem fair. Today's guest would counter that Wall Street hasn't really got its head around the variety in the newly arrived insurtech sector, and currently tends to put them all in the same bucket. Hippo's president, Rick McCathron, joined the business five years ago. With almost 30 years PNC experience, Rick has insurance running through his veins and is incredibly focused on what Hippo's mission is and how he's setting out to achieve that. Insurance people can relate to him, and he is excellent company. Listen on, and any lingering doubts about this firm's clarity of purpose will melt away. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Rick J. Lindsay, Chairman and CEO of Claims Direct Access, otherwise known as CDA. We all read about the claims nightmares in the United States of America, social inflation, nuclear verdicts, and the sky is falling. Hardly a day goes by without the news of reserve strengthening at major carriers. However, it's not all bad news. In the United States of America, we have the best legal system in the world, which allows you to fight frivolous claims and litigation and come out on top. In this kind of environment, you must get smarter about how you handle your claims and who your partners are. You have to move fast and be robust. CDA has been handling claims for over 40 years nationwide and has a team of 46 claims professionals, including 12 highly skilled attorneys and litigators. We have handled cases for major Lloyd syndicates since 1994, as well as U.S.-based major carriers, and have closed over 70,000 claims since 1994 nationwide. Not settling frivolous litigations is a must. CDA claim service means going the extra mile, handling claims quickly and vigorously with a proactive approach. Why not get in contact now to see how CDA can do the same amazing work for you and your partners that they do for me every day? Visit www.claimsdirectaccess.com today. Rick, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Thank you, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. Hippo, you know, I've known Hippo probably since right at the beginning. It's one of the kind of founders of what we'd call the InsureTech story of the last five years and one of the main pinup companies. It's synonymous with InsureTech. But it's a very fast-moving business. So I think it's probably a good idea for you to describe where Hippo is today and how much has that changed from earlier period in the company's development? Obviously, you're now a public company, for example. So if you can fill us in to the story so far. No, happy to, Mark. It's been an exciting five years since I've been in Hippo. Uh, I was actually running another insurance operation when our reinsurance partner said, you should meet this guy that's getting ready to start a homeowner's insurance company called Hippo. And the first thing I said is, well, that's an interesting name. But then I thought I do car insurance and Asaf is going to do homeowner's insurance. Sounds like a perfect strategic partnership. 
So I flew out to California. I live in Austin, Texas, met with a softy. One hour business development meeting turned into an all day meeting. And as I was driving back to the airport, Asaf uh, asked me, would I be willing to join him and be his partner on the insurance side of the business? And I said, yes, in the car, driving to the airport. Then the entire flight home, I tried to figure out how the heck was I going to divest myself from the company that I started. But I was <laughs> so excited about the vision that Asaf had and what he wanted to do in terms of returning the joy of homeownership to customers really got me excited. And this was, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Mark, this was really before InsureTech was a thing. But what really resonated with me was the idea that InsureTech is made up of two words, insurance and technology. And to be successful, you have to have equal energy and pedigree in both to avoid recognizing the pitfalls of the regulated insurance market, yet the customer expectations for a customer-centric company. So we've spent the last five years really refining that message of returning the joy of home ownership, and we're having a lot of fun doing it. Well, yes, he's a very persuasive man. I think um, uh, chaired Asaf at an early InsureTech conference probably five years ago now, and he was someone that asked me, who do you think out of these people is going to be most likely to succeed? I think I've put him down as one because it was just that energy. So a very persuasive man. What you're doing now, what are you most excited about with Hippo now in 2022? Yeah, we're really excited with the progress we've made. As you know, Mark, we're a public company. So some of the information or statistics that I will give you may be a quarter outdated until we release some of our public information. But what we've told the street for our guidance for Q4 of 2021 is around $600 million of premium. And we're quite pleased at the traction we have. Uh, The thing that's really important for us, though, as a company, is the amount of growth and premium that you bring on the books is only helpful if you have a long-term underwriting profitability mindset. So our real focus currently is really twofold continuing to find homeowners that really appreciate the collaboration and partnership that we have with them that will produce a positive underwriting result and allow them to rest easy knowing if something goes wrong with their home, Hippo is there to help them. Because our view is this is about holistic home protection. This isn't just about homeowners insurance. What we can do from a proactive or preventative perspective What we can do with IoT risk mitigation devices is really important to do what we think is the best claims experience, which frankly is avoiding the claim entirely. So as we find more and more customers that are willing to partner with us, these tend to be responsible homeowners that want a true partner. And with that true partnership comes a better loss ratio that we can share with favorable pricing and other services we can provide to the customer. I suppose some of those services are actually non-insurance. They are. One thing that people really don't understand, I think, about Hippo is Hippo is really four or five companies rolled into one. So, you know, first, we're a managing general agency, but we're a managing general agency that owns its own insurance company. So we put exposures and risks on our own balance sheet, but also on partners' balance sheets that allows us to properly segment the risk and the experience that we think will ultimately result from that risk. So we're an MGA who owns a carrier, who provides services like Hippo Smart Home or Hippo Home Care, 
that provides services helping customers maintain their home and proactive measures to help them avoid the claim. Uh, we also have an agency. So when HIPPO is not the right solution for those customers, for whatever reason, or maybe we're over-concentrated in a geography that's prone to weather events, we partner with some of the other leading homeowners insurance providers to offer the customer the best option that we can. In addition, in that agency, when our customer asks us questions like, can you help me with car insurance? Our answer is absolutely yes. We are happy to sell you somebody else's best-in-class auto insurance product, and we have lots of partnerships there. So we're also an agency. Then, of course, when we acquired our insurance company, Spinnaker Insurance Company, it was a fronting carrier that had other programs on its balance sheet, and we continue to grow and support those other programs. Many of them are newer insure tech companies that want the ability to have a true partnership that understands the unique challenges of a startup. And we continue to grow non-HIPPO products on the balance sheet that we own. So anything that we can expect from you guys, are you going to be absolutely concentrating on homeowners or are you going to be branching out in 2022, any new lines or new segments? Yeah, that's a really good question that comes up often. And our response is pretty simple. We exist to protect the joy of home ownership. So anything in that habitational or home ownership space, that is our vertical. Are we going to manufacture an auto insurance policy? No. Are we going to do an umbrella policy or some other things? No. But different things that help customers protect their home, that is where you're going to see expansions from HIPPO. And you'll likely see some expansions during 2022. But again, only in that vertical of home ownership. That's good to hear. And any other geographies, new state licenses, or maybe what about other countries, for example? It's interesting. We are currently riding in 36 or 37 states. We are always looking to expand into the states that we're not in. So we have active filings in most of the states that we're not live in. And with COVID, some of the regulatory approval process has slowed down a bit. But we expect to add additional states as well as complete our existing portfolio of products within each state. So currently, we really have five different products. We have a standard homeowner's policy. We have a condo policy. We have an investment property policy. We have a new construction dedicated for new construction and new builders with partnerships with great companies like Lennar and Toll Brothers and others. We also now have launched a community association commercial policy because, again, where you live isn't just the four walls, it's also the neighborhood. So we're protecting communities through community association insurance. Not all of those products are live in all of the states we're in. So we're going to not only expand geographically, but also bring in the other products into all of those states. And that's going to take a bit of time. So that's not all going to happen in 2022, but it's certainly on our product roadmap. And so this partnership strategy, to get it right, is that you're focusing on your core, but obviously as you encounter a homeowner, of course, they're probably a car owner. So it's about making you relevant to those customers and offering all the suite of products that they might need and probably including umbrella and all the other things that they might need. That's the rationale behind the partnership. Yeah, that's exactly right. Our view is being very centric around the customer. So it's just like selling our own policy, our own manufactured policies. We want to sell a hippo policy 
to a customer, however they want to engage with us or buy that policy. So our distribution strategy on our existing policies, ones we manufacture is omni-channel. If a customer wants to come straight to us, perfect. We have a direct to consumer solution. If they want to go untouched by a human and make it a fully digitized automated experience, we've got that. If they want to talk to an agent through that direct to consumer process, we have a large call center. We're happy to jump on the phone and help the customer with some coverage choices and decision-making. If the customer has a relationship with an independent agent or some of the captive insurance companies that we partner with, we are happy to appoint them and provide technology for those agents to also sell their customers a HIPAA homeowner's policy. And then we have partnerships that are non-insurance partnerships, things like home builders, title companies, escrow, mortgage companies, loan originators, loan servicers that have customers and have a digitized flow. We embed a HIPPO offering in that partner's flow to touch the customer without needing to leave that partner's flow. So our vision has always been omni-channel and partnership centric. And what we find on the other insurance companies we partner with is they often have constraints just as we have constraints. They may be oversaturated in an area. And so we're happy to sell our product to their customers when that's the case and vice versa. So we have partnerships with more than 20 traditional insurance companies and several insure tech companies. Because again, it's about what does the customer need? And we want to offer them the best solution for that, even if it's not a HIPPO manufactured product. And what sort of growth are you penciling in, obviously, within whatever constraints? What you can say is a public company, 600 million now, that's a gross written premium at the end of 21. What would it be this time next year? Yeah, we, uh, of course, have to be very careful in what I share. But that said, we believe that we have such a large top of the funnel with all of the different partnerships, with our different omni-channel approaches that we will continue to grow profitably. It's the profitably component that I think is very important. We don't want to add customers just to add customers. We want to add customers that we think are the right type of customers who resonate with our mission of joy of home ownership. And we will grow with those types of customers while we continue to improve our underwriting results as we issue new rate filings, refine our underwriting model, get cohorts of business that are older. Everybody in the insurance industry knows the longer you have a customer, the more likely that customer is profitable. One of the challenges for a startup is you have a disproportionate amount of your customers that are in younger cohorts. And so we'll continue to improve the underwriting results as we continue to age out our cohorts, as they've gone through multiple underwriting cycles, and as we expand geographically. We've been over-concentrated in a few states like California and Texas. For the last several quarters, we have significantly diversified that concentration in other states. All of that will help improve the profitability of the portfolio while we continue to grow the portfolio. Texas has been quite well documented. Obviously, we've been unlucky with the uh, big freeze at the beginning of last year. 
it's a tough thing, you know, you're growing and you finally, you get a lot of traction in one place and then it just uh, makes you exposed. But what you're saying is, of course, as you grow this year, you're going to become much, much more balanced, I presume. That's exactly right. And you're right. Insurance is different than just about any other product for a couple of different reasons. One, you really don't know what the cost to manufacture your product is until after it's in the marketplace and after claims start occurring. And two, you don't want, whenever you find yourself over-concentrated in an area, it's not that you want to double down on that particular area. You want to start asking yourself, why are so many customers coming to buy from me in this particular area? Have I missed something? Do I have a gap in my underwriting? Am I priced inappropriately? All of those components, I think, play a role in the maturization of an insurance company. Mark, the analogy I like to use is when Michael Jordan was five years old, he had a lot of potential, but he was still five years old. Once Michael Jordan matures, that's when he starts dominating others. And I think that's the road that not only Hippo, but some other insured techs are. As we continue to mature in an accelerated fashion, I think you're really going to see the differentiation between some insured techs, other insured techs, and incumbents. And it is interesting. I think the biggest challenge that homeowners providers have right now is the uncertainty around climate change. You mentioned winter storm Uri. I live in Austin, Texas, and literally the temperature in my house was 80 degrees. Seven days later, it was minus one degrees. It is not the type of thing you can predict or understand in advance. And I think that's the challenge the industry has is traditionally We've all been very reactive. I think it's time that we start getting proactive, even on things like weather and weather prediction and climatology. You've built a machine now. Would you say that your machine is better, your hippo underwriting machine is better than what the incumbents have got? And I'm sure you can say that with some conviction, that you, you've got the technology to be able to react quickly as circumstances change quickly in the way that an incumbent can't. Yeah, I think... Better is, is an interesting word to use. I say with great conviction, our ability to react quickly because of the tech stack is like nothing I've ever seen. I've been in the insurance industry post-college for 28 years. In pre-college, I grew up in an agency family. So I've spent my entire life in the insurance space. When I met Asaf the first time and he had told me about the tech stack they were building and I said, well, when did you start? And they said two weeks ago. And in my mind, I thought, great, in 18 to 24 months, we'll actually have a project, you know, a product to launch. It took six weeks to build the policy admin system. And it's one of the best policy admin systems I've ever seen. And of course, we've refined it quite a bit since then. So I think technology is significantly better at insure techs. I think underwriting for the segments that you want are better with InsureTechs because the ability to infuse third-party data sources on a real-time basis is impressive for InsureTech companies. Last quarter, we implemented five new data sources that have 30 different underwriting variables. So the ability to do that in a quarter, some of my colleagues that have come from very successful incumbent insurance companies that's the reason they joined. The ability to really see what we need to do and implement it quickly is the excitement that I think InsureTechs bring to bear. Yeah. And the amount of data is only exploding. I mean, every day there seems to be a new array of satellites and things being launched into space and all sorts of things. It's just, it's pretty impressive. Um, 
you mentioned earlier about the marriage between insurance and technology. And then I presume that, that ASAP is the technology part of the insure tech and you're the insurance part. Well, I will say I am certainly the insurance part with a lot of great colleagues to help along this way. If you look at our insurance team, I would stack it up to any worldwide insurance team. We're very pleased to have really talented folks on the insurance side. ASAF is a little harder of an individual to put into a box. ASAF is highly intelligent, incredibly strategic, has the rare knack of seeing something before it happens and already knowing the three iterations he's going to do after stage one happens, stage two happens, stage three happens. I've been in, I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in where somebody would come and talk to Hippo about their idea. And Asaf would immediately know what will work, what won't work. And he will outline the path of that particular startup for the next three years. And you see the founders of these companies looking at him like, how does this guy know so much about this? So Asaf is impossible to put into a box in a highly, highly effective person. Now you're a public company. You talk about building something that's long-term, sustainable and profitable. And everybody knows that all insurance startups have a long ramp up. You have a lot of costs to start with. Now, obviously, you've got to the IPO and you're declaring results on a quarterly basis. So do you feel that pressure now? Is it much more, do you feel like there's a race to start posting your first profit? Or do you not feel that pressure? Do you feel that perhaps do you have a slightly different set of investors? We've got kind of traditional investors who support traditional insurance companies. And of course, we've got tech investors who supported Tesla for years and years and years with no profit at all. And they weren't at all interested. They were much more interested in building a company. At the moment, do you feel under any kind of pressure to start posting profits? Or do you feel you can still be building and obviously with red ink at the bottom of the line? I think you have to have a clear path to profitability, but it's not on somebody else's defined timeline. One of the reasons we went public, and there was a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons that we went public was to create a war chest of cash so we could go out and invest in the business, take advantage of opportunities, and have a buffer when something happens on a macro basis. You're seeing that right now on the macro basis. The companies that have a lot of cash on hand and can weather the storm are the ones that are going to come out of it on top. And there will be opportunities that present themselves during these sort of turbulent times to allow companies that do have ample cash to take advantage of those opportunities. I do think you have to get profitable over a period of time, but when you build a franchise, it's not the same as what I would consider a normal business model. We are trying to create something that doesn't exist a holistic home protection company. And our investors, for the most part, invest in the future of what we will become and have conviction that we are on the right track and a clear line and a clear vision of becoming that. So of course, you know, there's always the pressure of looking at the stock price in the morning. But what I tell my colleagues is, were you planning on selling tomorrow? If you were, you probably shouldn't be here anyway. But if you weren't, let's lock arm in arm for the next decade and really build something special. And so with the capital you've raised, you've got quite a long period of time that you've bought yourself effectively to keep building. That's right. We feel very confident in the approximately $850 million of cash on hand, not counting what is on, you know, on our balance sheet as the carrier. And in terms of that investment, we've seen some M&A within some of your peer group, you know, the public insure techs. 
Is that something, would you discount that or would you always build your own? We have actually acquired a few companies over the years. I think we've had three acquisitions. We absolutely will consider companies that we think are accretive to the long-term vision and value of the company, maybe something that will help accelerate timeline. But we are very disciplined around the vertical of home insurance. So, you know, things that we can acquire or merge with that we think advances that proposition are things that we would consider. And we do, we do consider things from time to time. And as I mentioned, we have acquired some companies. I do think that's something that's unique with InsureTechs is that every InsureTech has a bit of a different model and a bit of a different execution plan. The problem by being a public company, in my opinion, is that the street hasn't quite figured out how to bucket InsureTechs, so they bucket them all together. Yep. And I can tell you the similarities between Root and Lemonade and Hippo and Metro Mile and some of the others are not nearly as significant as you would think. We are all very different companies with very different models playing in very large addressable markets. And I think several can win. That's the thing about homeowners insurance. It's a 110-ish billion dollar market. There's not a winner take all. You know, only one company has sort of double digit market share in that and that's State Farm. And so I think there's lots of room to partner, to play, to grow. And we're in houses, you know, a million or so houses are being built every year. And insurance is generally inflationary. Costs go up. So I think we're in a market that has a very large addressable market. It has a very long lifetime. You know, the, the average tenure of a homeowner's insurance policy is eight plus years. So that gives you very attractive sort of CAC to LTV ratios. And if you're doing other things, it gets even more sticky with the customer and you improve the long-term value because of the other things that you provide them. And are you seeing that in terms of your experience to date? That Are you able to build that relationship with the customer, even if you have to put up their premium and you, you've learned something new? I mean, you've brought in some new, those six new data sources in the last quarter and you've seen something. Are you able to get improved stickiness because they believe in that partnership with you? In the customer segment that we're really going after, we do. We have very high retention rates, even when we change the rate structure. One of the things that I think incumbents should recognize about startups is unless you have a crystal ball, you're never going to know exactly what you have to do. That comes with wisdom and experience and learnings. The difference between InsureTechs is they can move and adapt, as we said earlier, very, very quickly. Uh, we iterate very fast, we figure it out very quickly, and we have to make adjustments. And the customer segment that really resonates towards our value proposition are ones that say, I'm not about price. What I am about is partnership and protection. So I can focus on teaching Susie how to ride the bike in the driveway, and you can focus on you know, avoiding or preventing the water leak that's going to happen in the house. That's the partnership we have, and those are not price-conscious shoppers. And so do you envisage almost being a great service company effectively is almost that, you know, the people are going to come around with the van, with a truck, with your logo on the side to fix the washing machine or whatever that's leaking, that kind of thing. The hippo people are at the door ringing the bell saying, hey, we've come to fix something that you didn't even know was broken yet. Yeah, that's absolutely the vision. The vision is a 1-800-HIPPO for anything in your home. Now that vision comes with nuance. 
Sometimes there are things that we do in manufacture. Other times it's partnerships that we have, but that's exactly right. If we can help identify something before it becomes an issue, we want to be there and help the customer take care of that. That's exactly what our Hippo Home Care does. So prior to COVID, we would actually send out folks to people's houses, consider it a home health concierge to help them with different aspects, to change air filters, show them the gutters, maybe have a, a gutter cleaner come out that's not our employee, but somebody that's vetted and trusted. So what happened during COVID is people didn't want anybody in their house. So we shifted that to sort of a telemaintenance or virtual visit. And we have found significant traction in that concept where we can help the customer complete sort of a DIY situation. So let me give you an example that happens all the time at Hippo. We have the most widely adopted smart home technology package in the insurance industry. So more than 75% of our customers opt in to Hippo Smart Homes program, in which we provide them risk mitigation devices that range all the way from DIY installed devices to professional monitoring. And depending on which device you have, we give you a different discount for that device. So here's a situation that happens. Two o'clock in the morning, I'm laying in bed and my cell phone starts screaming at me. And I look at it and it says water leak in the washroom. So I get up and I go to the washroom and I see the hose behind the washer has sprung a leak. Great, I'm glad my phone woke me up. Now I'm gonna turn the water off. And in the morning, I'm gonna figure out what to do. Well, in the morning, I look at that and I think I've never actually changed a washing water hose. What do I do? Well, I'm going to reach out to my teleservice provider at Hippo. I'm going to call Hippo Home Care. And the Hippo Home Care person is going to, through a glorified FaceTime, is going to walk you through and say, this is what you need to do. Go to Home Depot, get this particular type of braided hose. When you get it, come back. And I'm going to show you how you go ahead and install that virtually. That's the kind of holistic home protection and partnership that we do at Hippo. And as technology only improves and the IoT devices improve, we really are bullish on what it can become. So I can see why that kind of model is an expensive one to start up, isn't it? You can't do that on the cheap, can you, I presume? No, you can't. And the reality, too, is it has a flywheel effect. Because the cell phone started going off at two in the morning, I didn't let that water leak turn into a rupture and wake up with an inch of water on my hardwood floors that now result in a $20,000 claim. So since I'm avoiding some of those claims and it's fixed with a hose and a mop, I ultimately can charge customers lower premium because I have fewer losses or provide customers more servicing without it necessarily costing the customer any more money. So it is a holistic vision and view of how we actually help customers protect their home, add value, add service, improve loss ratio, give more value and service, helping them protect their home even more. You mentioned about the Spinnaker acquisition, which certainly set you apart from most of your peers at the time. And it probably in the last year, I've been talking to a lot of people about the emergence of this hybrid carrier model. And I'd say you're definitely a hybrid carrier, the way that you're structured now. What do you think about being described as that? And is it all about a strategy of keeping things capital light or capital appropriate? Or what's your thinking around the way that that is structured and why you're structured that way? 
Yes, it's a combination of factors. So capital light is definitely a component of that. But also by having multiple carriers with multiple pricing segmentations, underwriting guidelines, you know, rates, you can have a further granulated pricing scheme and model. So each one of our carriers that we partner with, either our own or partners, we have very sophisticated bi-parallel rating algorithms. But even with sophisticated bi-parallel rating algorithms, you cannot have the deviation that you might need based on particular exposure. So every time you add a carrier to that, you're doubling your granular segmentation. Third carrier, tripling it. So you're really creating not only a capital light model, but also the ability to really charge the right price to the right customer for the right exposure. And finally, I think the reason that a lot of insure techs ultimately go into this structure is when you first start writing business, the likelihood of having an underwriting profit is small because you still have lots of learnings to do as we talked about before. What this allows you to really focus on is the ability to grow over time and have your own carrier for when you need to partner with the reinsurance companies and say, look, I'm not putting all of this on you. I'm willing to take risk too. You can either do that through a carrier you own or set up a captive. Hippo did participate a bit in the underwriting risk before we owned a carrier, we did it via a captive. Now having a carrier makes it a little easier. We are better aligning our interests with the reinsurers. And I will say we have a dozen reinsurers on our panel, and I'm really proud of the partnerships we've developed. Those that are on our panel really understand this is a long-term play. This is not a short-term one. And they believe as we do, that holistic home protection mindset we have will ultimately provide better loss results. And I'm proud of the partners we have. What sort of scale in terms of premium volume do you think you need to be to get, and obviously with all the diversification that probably comes with that, to get more comfortable about being able to be profitable year in, year out in the way that any successful personal lines carrier almost can be? Yeah, I think it's a little less about scale at this point. I think we have ample scale. I think it's a little bit more about time and cohort aging and geographical diversification. And by the way, we're trying to do this in a time that has seen some of the greatest inflationary pressures and trends within the homeowner's insurance industry. The supply chain issue, shortages of labor and materials has seen severity go up quite a bit. And so we're doing all of this in a time when we also have to look at the inflationary trends that the entire industry is suffering from. So I think it's a little bit more about time. And I think we're close. I think that, you know, over the next few years, you're going to see significant improvement. We already quarter over quarter have shown significant improvement. I have every reason to believe we'll continue to do that. And I think it's a little bit of time and it's a little bit more geographical diversification because I do think we have the scale to be where we need to be. It's interesting what you said about almost you're waiting for some of your customers to age and then they'll have more stuff. And do you think you could do more to appeal to older consumers already? Is it, or is it just, it's very hard to get onto their radar, I presume, that do you find it easier because you're, let's say, you know, a sexy tech-focused company to capture those millennials than baby boomers, for example? Yeah, strangely enough, I think we resonate better with sort of the generation in between the Gen Xers 
which is what I am, because those of us in our 50s have learned how to use some technology and we recognize, look, ease transcends generation, I think. One of our very first policyholders, when we first launched the company, I called every single new policyholder. And just to ask them, how was the experience? Why did you choose us? And one particular day, I get on the phone with a lovely woman named Carol. And I can tell by Carol's voice, she is not a millennial. So I pull up her information and Carol is 92 years old. <laughs> and I'm having this lovely conversation. It lasted an hour and a half because Carol really didn't have anything to do but talk to me. In fact, she has my cell phone number and I still get a call from her occasionally, just making sure, Rick, I want to make sure my homeowner's insurance policy is enforced. Yes, Carol, it is. If you ever have a problem, don't hesitate to call me. But what I learned from that was based on a question I asked her at the end of the conversation. I said, Carol, how did you hear about Hippo? Why did you decide to buy a HIPPO policy? And she laughed and said, oh, Rick, I was on my Facebook and I saw an ad show up for HIPPO and I clicked on it and it was so easy. I bought the policy in 10 minutes and then I tweeted all my friends. True story. <laughs> so Carol at 92 is on Facebook, bought a policy online, unaided by a human, and then let all of her presumably similar age friends who's also on Twitter know how easy Hippo was. So I do think it resonates well with older folks. I think COVID, you know, if you ask somebody that was 65 what a QR code was pre-COVID, they probably wouldn't have any idea what you're talking about. But now when we all go to restaurants and the menus are on QR codes, you know, COVID has actually accelerated the rate in which people have to learn some new technologies. Within that hybrid model, do you have an ideal balance in your mind when you're creating that structure in terms of how much premium income you write for your own account, how much you see to reinsurers, and also how much that balance between fee and commission income as well and your own income? Or do you just do what's right for the customer and just and it ends up being what it ends up being? I think first and foremost, we always try to do what's right for the customer. But I think it is very important to have that balance. An example of that is what I spoke about earlier on our omni-channel approach. You are seeing many, many insured techs now starting to use agent distribution. Why are they doing it? Because the more and more that are trying to fight for direct-to-consumer customers that are not numerous within certain segments of insurance, you're ending up having to spend so much to acquire a customer that the economics fail over time. CAC does not always scale. And so an omni-channel approach says we can go direct if that's what the customer wants. We can go to an agent or we can go to a partnership. And we think a proper balance amongst all of our distribution sources insulate us from specific threats that might exist, as does the way we get revenue. Insurance revenue, fee-based revenue, risk-based revenue. We think it's all very important to create optionality and a balanced protected portfolio. And, and we do focus on that. You mentioned about your own proprietary technology, that early policy admin system that you said was great. Would you always keep that as your own proprietary comparative advantage in the marketplace? Or would you ever think of licensing that out to others? Mark, that does come up a lot. We get a lot of folks, including some large incumbents, reach out to us early on in the first few years of Hippo. Uh, we had several large incumbents that wanted to acquire the company. 
and they wanted to acquire it for the technology. And we, of course, made the decision that, nope, we want to build something special and build a franchise. Turned out to be a very good decision because we could have had an early exit that would have uh, really made our shareholders, our investors rather, and, and frankly, founders and employees, quite a bit of money. But the decision was, no, let's build something special. And that's what we've done. So we do not outsource our technology. We also... If it is a technology that we do not believe is intellectual property, we do partner with some others to use some of their technology. As an example, our, you know, our CRM is not a hippo homegrown CRM. We use Salesforce. Why? Because it works well. And I'd rather my Silicon Valley or Tel Aviv-based engineers and tech folks build something that's proprietary to us. But we do think the core policy admin system and its ability to ingest data sources real time, we think that is a competitive advantage and we'll keep that to ourselves. Rick, you look very relaxed for someone, you know, at the heart of like almost a permanent revolution and such a fast moving business and now a public business as well. You don't look like you're carrying all that weight on your shoulders. So I think I've come to the end of most of my questions and I just want to thank you and wish you well. And obviously everyone's going to be following you absolutely in the public gaze all the time. So we're all going to be looking and uh, I just wish you well and, and hope you'll have success where we know that on this journey, not every insure tech being a pioneer is not easy and not every insure tech we know is, is going to succeed it certainly looks like you're comfortable that you're going to get there. You seem very confident. Well, Mark, I really appreciate the opportunity to chat. As you probably gather, I love chatting about what we're doing. And I do think when you have a very strong conviction and a clear path to achieve what you want to achieve, I do think that creates a certain level of, of comfort and relaxation. And I think we're on that journey and we're very excited about it. But thanks so much for having me here. Well, no, thanks for doing the communication. It's actually very important because, you know, there are so many insure techs, there's so many insurance companies, and there's so many stories out there. When I read about you in different sources in the press, I would get all sorts of different stories from one place to another, you know, with the acquisition of Spinnaker or this or different partnerships. In the back of my mind, I'd be saying, well, where is Hippo going? But when I listen to you, you only focus on one thing. And so thanks very much for coming on the show and displaying that focus, which certainly it comes across loud and clear. Thank you so much, Mark. I really enjoyed it. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this program. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost-effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance is produced in association with Advantage Go. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. <laughs>